attention, attention please. The Camp Ojibwa History Podcast is on the air. Hello and welcome to the Camp Ojibwa History Podcast. My name is Christopher Thomason. I'm your host for this and many, many more trips down memory lane. The Camp Ojibwa History Podcast is a podcast dedicated to collecting the stories, the history, the memories of Camp Ojibwa for Boys in Eagle River, Wisconsin, founded 1928. This week on the podcast, Herb Hoffman. That's right, Judge Hoffman was a camper in the 50s and... Great guy, super fun, went out to San Diego on my West Coast swing and uh, checked in with Herb, so you get to hear a little bit of that. Before we get to that, a little housekeeping, I'm not even going to say it, because you know, May 6, 2017, OJ90. That's all I'm going to say, but I will tell you this, we got a big special event coming up from the History Project here. In a couple of weeks, you're going to hear it right here on the podcast. It's podcast-related. I'm not going to tell you what it is yet, but uh, as we approach a certain number of episodes, uh, we're going to do something special for you guys. So I think you're going to dig that a lot. You're going to hear more about it in the next couple of weeks, but stay tuned for that. You'll also get an invite for that other thing I'm not talking about within the next couple of weeks. So stay tuned for that, too, because that's going to be super exciting. Uh, Also... We're getting ready to wrap up the bricks for this year, Uh, so if you'd like to get a commemorative brick and get it put right there at the Collegiate Week bench slash yellow bench right there on the grounds of Camp Ojibwa, go to campojibwahistory.org and click on Get My Brick. That'll do it. Okay, without further ado, here we go. Herb Hoffman on the Camp Ojibwa History Podcast. This land is your land, and this land is my land. From California to the New York Island, from the Redwood Forest to the Gulf Stream waters. This land was made First for you and me. Please say your name and your years at Camp Ojibwa. Okay, my name is Sherb Hoffman. I was a camper at Camp Ojibwa, 1951, 1952, and 1953. I was in cabins two, five, and seven, those three years. Um, after I left high school and went to college after my first semester of college at University of Iowa, I went back to Ojibwa as a senior counselor for one summer and I was the counselor in cabin number two. Very nice. And that was in 1960. Nice. And I have not been back since. Well, we're going to fix that. Okay. But, uh, so how do you first find out about Camp Ojibwa? How do you first end up there? Uh, this is what I believe. I, I, there was a, um, my father, whose name was Al Hoffman, uh, owned restaurants in Chicago, um, had a good friend who was kind of wealthy, and they lived on Lakeshore Drive. We were living on Lakeshore Drive at the time. His name was Tunic, 
Maury Tunick, I think was his name, and he had a son named David Tunick. And David Tunick was a camper ah. at Camp Ojibwa. And so so we I did what they you know, I my father did what they were doing and so he started me out at Camp Ojibwa in nineteen fifty one and Dave Dave was had already been there I think at least one one year. Mm. He was a little bit older than I was. Yeah. So in fifty one you take the train to Took the train I think to Rhinelander mm. and then they had a bus that would take you from the um, from the train station to the camp. Um, everybody had like these lockers, these big these big lockers and all your clothes mm. were in your, your lockers. So you would go to your cabin and then you would unpack your clothes and then they would store the lockers somewhere till you left. I guess. And then you repack them and then and Did then you would bring go. that with you or was it like shipped up ahead kind of a thing? Well, I th- I thought I brought it with me, mm. but that I could be wrong. Yeah. I do remember in those days that um, you had to buy the Ojibwa t-shirts and the white ducks and they sold them in Marshall Fields. Oh, wow. In Chicago. That's and very were, cool. And it was a big, you know, you had to go down there to get your stuff. Your parents <laughs> did, I should say. I, I was at camp probably six years worth of stories before I figured out what white ducks were. I thought they were shoes. I didn't know either. <laughs> yeah. I was like, what did, why did all these guys have white Well, ducks? you only had to wear them when you had socials with the uh, girls. Yeah. I, no, and then I guess there were some events, song night or something like oh, that. Oh, sure. You them, yeah. Yeah. But that was sort of the official, like, dress blues for camp. True. Right? The ducks and the T-shirt. That was true. <laughs> the things I remember were, the, you know, that I remember they had the greatest food in the world. Oh. And that the... Um, the cook, or the head cook, supposedly, was the chef at Fritzel's. Fritzel's was a famous restaurant in Chicago. Okay. And they secured this guy to um, go up to Ojibwa and be the cook. So the, the meals were very good. Nice. You know, and they were all family style, if I remember right. Sure. You'd sit with your cabin at a long table in the mess in the rep, uh, mess hall. Mm-hmm. And then they would they'd bring out the food. And what kind of stuff are we talking about? Well, they had steaks. They had the, the breakfasts were oatmeal, and they and then they had the lunches were. All, I think the lunches were there too. I mean, everything was in it, unless they had a campfire for oh, I see. Um, right. the barbecue. But most, I mean, the the, the the meals were very good. I mean, it was really first class. Very nice. Yeah. Uh, now, as a young man going up to camp the first time, is this like your first time away from home? Is first it? time away from home. And <laughs> I was, um, I remember, of course, they didn't have cell phones in those days. Sure. So there was a pay phone. And, of course, the only way you could call anyone is you have to call, if you knew how to call collect, mm. you'd, you know, you'd, <laughs> you'd call. So the first week that I was at camp, I was, so I guess I was eight, mm-hmm. and I turned nine in August. So I was eight years old. I originally thought I was seven, so I was wrong. I was eight. And I want, the first week I wanted to go home. Just I just couldn't, couldn't I just told my parents they gotta come get me. Sure. And then after one week, you couldn't you couldn't get me out of there for <laughs> for anything. And I couldn't wait to get back. And it was uh, and then from then on it was just a love affair with the camp. Yeah. Do you remember who some of your uh, other guys in the cabin were or some of your staff? Well, there was, I mean, I, I reviewed the Warrior, mm. you know, um, and I, I remember there's a, there was a Steve Corman, and I know I was in a cabin with Jay Maul at one time. Um, 
there, I mean, there was this Dizzy Nitzkin fellow, but I don't think he was in my, my cabin. Um, I don't really remember all the other people in, in sure. the cabin, you know, and the name, I looked through the names today, but it didn't really refresh my recollection. But when you went there, so was Tunic the only other person you knew? When you got I guess there? at the outset, yeah. yeah. I didn't. I didn't know anybody else. Yeah. Uh, it, in the, in later years, when I went, I actually recruited some of my friends to go. Nice. And so I think by 1950, because we moved, my family moved from Lakeshore Drive up to the north side around California Peterson. And I went to Clinton School as a grammar school. And I got some of my friends from Clinton School or get them to go to Camp Ojibwa. And that was, I think, Bert Kaplan was one. And I, I think there was a fellow named Gary Gervey. Mm -hmm. He went, and then Bob Bohm lived one block from me. And I don't remember if I got him to go or not, but I mean, he was in my grammar school and high school. but. You know, I, he was at camp when I was at camp, too. Okay, very nice. Yeah. Uh, so early on, now, did you like sports already as a kid, or was uh, it just whatever? I, I had all, my family had brought me uh, up to be, um, you know, sports fan, Cubs, Bears. My father took me to games when I was really small, and I played sports in uh, high school, I mean, grammar school before I, and, and grammar school before I went to high school. Um, and, and so, yeah, I was into sports before, but I have to credit, I mean, I thought Camp Ojibwe really was a big uh, part of molding my personality and I think a lot of my competitiveness. Um, and that's why I, I, was, I always thought it was a great part of my growing up. The experience of relating to other kids, having a counselor who was older and, and wiser, Sure. To be with you all the time, and then the the different activities and the, the collegiate week and all and all the watermelon league and Indian league and all these league, you know, it was it was just a hundred percent sports. I mean, I, there was some of the arts and crafts and and the related stuff, but that was very minor at that time. Right. Uh, I learned how to swim there. Nice. I don't think I don't. I think I did not learn how to, and I even. Did fairly well in swimming meets that they had there later on, although I never was really a good swimmer. And I did that um, two island or one island swim. Oh, sure. Uh, I was very proud of that that I was able to do that. It's a big swim. We yeah, it was a long swim. We can't do anything like that anymore. There, now there's so much lake traffic. Yeah. Because in those days. Oh I mean, yeah, there you just went be, out with a rope. Right. Yeah. Now it was a robot went, went with you. We can't. Our swim area stops at the raft, the, yeah. the outer part there. And I remember the, I mean, the revelry in the morning, and then you would run down to the, to the, swimming to the, I call it the lake. I guess to the lake. And there was a beach there, if I remember right. Yep. You know, and and then Al Schwartz would be out there, and you, you would he called it Dipper Shower, <laughs> and you'd go out there, and you and he would do these calisthenics, and he'd tell you breathe in and breathe out, breathe the air, and then when he was done and you did the calisthenics, you either went in the shower and took a shower, or you went or you jumped in the in the lake and took a dip, <laughs> and I think we were all naked. Yeah. If I remember right. I mean, except for a towel. Sure. Um, and were you more of a dip guy or more of a shower I guy? I was more of a shower guy, I think. Um, 
And then you'd go back and change and go for breakfast. Then the day would start. And then they had a rest period during the middle of the day where you'd, you'd go back to your cabin and, I guess, clean up and so forth. And, um, and then all the activities. And it was just, I mean, it was just really... Uh, Non-stop stuff every day, yeah. you know. And then I guess it rained some days, and the days it rained, they would find something else for you to do. Yeah. And then it would take you into. Well, they took you into town once or twice a year, where you'd go to this. I think the restaurant was called Zimpleman's. Zimpleman's, absolutely. Uh, it was a drugstore, and they'd let you get milkshakes mm. uh, at Zimpleman's. And then um, what else did they do? And then there was the, the overnight hikes. You'd go on an overnight hike, and there was a. Um, they had this story that they used to scare kids with, and it was called the Tale of the Ojibwa Monster. Oh, okay. You, did you ever hear that story? Uh, well, maybe. Uh, tell me a little more of the finer points. Well, the story, <laughs> as the story goes, there was um, a guy um, who who was tarred and feathered. Oh. And 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 let and let out into the woods, and I guess and I guess he was the Ojibwa monster. I don't remember exactly all the details, but but you know it, when the counselors would tell that story, I mean you'd have nightmares, sure, you know, at night. Yeah, the uh, I think. Um, do you remember if he had a name outside of just the Ojibwa? I monster? can't remember that because there's a there's a Zeke is the name that very often gets attributed uh-huh. to the. Okay. Traditional uh, okay. Ojibwa monster tale, yeah. and and he's gone through some variations over the years. But, yeah, uh, most so of that the, was the story. Yeah. I remember that story. Most um, of those parts are uh, the um, intact. You know, I remember they they would have parents' weekend where your parents would come see you one weekend, which was and, and I've got unfortunately I can't find the pictures that I have. Um, and if I ever run across those, I'll. I'll get you. I know I have them. Yeah, please do. But there's pictures of me as a camper. Very cool. And I'm in the, you know, right in front of the cabins, you know, um, in my Ojibwe shirt and stuff. No, Perfect. I, yeah. <laughs> now, the so when parents would come up, they would do the minstrel show. Were you part of the minstrel show? Or? Um, I must have been. Yeah. Because most everyone, I think, was included, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was in the rec hall. Yeah. And then I remember they would bring in the barbers from Eagle River once a year <laughs> to give all the kids haircuts. And that was in the in the uh, rec hall, too. That's funny. <laughs> uh, what else are some of the highlights? Um, well, I remember when they... they, they, they I remember playing... The softball was, big, was a big thing there because mm-hmm. they played the Chicago softball with the 16-inch. Right. Yeah. And then if you could if you could hit that softball, if you were a, a left-handed hitter and you could hit the met, the rec hall or the mess hall, that was kind of like the home run. And if you were left-handed, you tried to see some kids could hit into the lake. Yeah. Um, and there were some. I mean, I, there was. I don't know. I, I think I had a friend and his brother. When there was a guy, um, very famous Jewish athlete in Chicago named. Mar, uh, uh, Ronnie Rubenstein. Sure, of course. And Robin, Ronnie, Ronnie Rubenstein was at Ojibwa, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. And his brother Bert, who was my age, was at Ojibwa. Gotcha. I'm sure. Um, and that had to be maybe one, or maybe I don't know if they, I don't know if they went before me, 
or not, or I got them to go, but they were in my high school and, mm. and, and grammar school. Um, but I remember Ronnie Rubenstein, I think, being there at least one year. I've definitely heard his name a lot, yeah, especially he, in the big, big And athletes. he's a legend in Chicago Yeah, as an athlete. I don't know where he is today. He was a, a tremendous athlete, and um, he went to Louisville uh, and got a scholarship. He played basketball at guy did at Sen High School. Okay. And uh, and his brother played with me, and um, and then I, I spent, since his brother and I were close friends, I spent a lot of time at their house. I knew their their parents, and I knew Ronnie, and I knew the, I knew the, the Playboy bunnies that he was dating. Um, <laughs> sure. So it was a big, sort of. I don't, you know. And then I, I haven't seen him. I have seen Bert, Rubenstein. I, I stayed in touch with him, for a little while, and then I, um, I saw him at my, um, last reunion, in two thousand and two from high school that I went to, but. You know, they've lost contact with virtually everybody. Yeah, sure. And it's hard, too, I think, you know, uh, even even in the Internet age, having to separate, being out on the coast here and... and well, yeah, I mean, we, I live a long way away, and I don't... I mean, my sister still lives in Chicago, and um, I was trying to determine if I was an Ojibwe brave or not. Mm. And I and it wasn't in... I thought I was. I thought I had a jacket. They give you a jacket, I believe. And my mother... I think I threw it out after I left Chicago. My sister wanted to keep that jacket as her own. But when I looked in the Warrior for 1953, in some of the earlier wars, they, they identified the campers that were made Ojibwe mm, Braves. Right. But I didn't. I couldn't find it in this in the 53. That probably would have been the year. If you're in Cabin Seven, yeah, you might have been right. close to the time. To where you would become a brave, you know, an Ojibwe brave. Yeah, it's about bar mitzvah years, sort of all. Yeah, yeah. Sort of all around that. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And um, I remember cabin thirteen being the all the old kids and, and stuff like that. Yeah. And it was terrific to the interaction they have like collegiate week when you were, you know, I I just thought my recollection was it was just one. There weren't different teams. They're all you were all one team, and and there were like one hundred and forty. There were like a hundred. I thought there were like twelve campers in a cabin. And I, uh, I think yeah, I may be wrong. Right. Yeah. And, and then, had the, you and had then the low beds, right? Yeah. And then and then camp cabin thirteen had like twenty something. Yeah. So you're about one hundred and forty kids. Total. Yeah, one hundred and forty. But they would divide like so. There were like ten collegiate teams. There were like fourteen kids on a team. Yeah. Older and younger. Yeah, I think that sounds about right. Yeah. Because in those days, you'd, you would play varsity and junior varsity. Right, now right. we also play prep. We have bigger teams yeah. because we have more. We have bunk beds in the cabins. So we oh, there are bunk beds now. Yeah. yeah. So we can fit about 20 per cabin. Really? Okay. Yeah. So we'll have, during the first four, we'll have about 200 kids. During the second four, we'll have about 240, 250. And wow. 12 teams. So that gets us to about 20 per team. Yeah, yeah. Well, the um, I do remember this one. I went back as a counselor. Um I, I was coaching one of the um, baseball te- kids' baseball teams, and I had a kid on my team that really couldn't do anything. Mm. And um, young, young, young. He was either eight or nine, seven, eight or nine years old, and he couldn't he couldn't catch a fly ball or or, or anything. Mm. 
So I had to find a place to put him where he would cause the, mo- the least amount of damage. Sure. That was the idea. So I decided I would put him in center field. And then I would tell my right fielder and my left fielder that you're going to have to cover him <laughs> because he won't be able to catch the ball. And, you know, and he, he's just out there. And, but basically, we're just going to have two outfielders. So one, we played one game. It was after, after dinner. So it was like before we went, you know, it was a night game of some sort, you know, before it got dark. And somebody, it was a playoff game of some sort. It was a, real, fairly important. And our team was right up there in the standings or whatever. So some kid hit a fly ball out to, unfortunately, directly at the center fielder, right? My kid that could not do anything. Uh-oh. And he stood there, just stood there, and the ball dropped about three, two, three feet from him, and he never moved. Okay? <laughs> and it was, and it didn't work out well for my team, that, that, that hit. Sure. Well, I went out to the outfield, and I yelled at him, okay? Just should, should not have done. And lo and behold, at the same time, Al Schwartz is walking across the field. And he sees his counselor sitting there in center field yelling at this camper. Well, I can tell you, I had, <laughs> I got taken, I got, I got to, you know, he, Al was not very happy with me that day. Mm, I'm sure. You know, <laughs> I, you know and, uh, but that was one thing I've always, I've always remembered. Mm. Um, but, you know, when the kids used to, when I remember when I was a counselor, when the kids would nap or rest period, we were permitted to go out and, and, and play, mm. if I remember right. They played games. Play played games basketball or, or tennis or something like that. Mm-hmm. That, was, that was like a time for us. And I remember that uh, Jay Maul and Neil Maul and I were used to play a lot of basketball and, um, on the basketball courts. And then Jay, I think it was Jay, had a boat mm. uh, that he kept when he was a counselor. He had a boat at the... Uh, so we would take off in the boat um, and try to go hustle women, <laughs> you know, uh, and, and, and did some of that. Sure. Um, <laughs> And then I guess you you know and then and then come back at night, um, and I th- I think it was all okay. We weren't like sneaking out or anything, right. but but because um, you had another counselor to cover for you or something. Um, because you know if you're if you're a counselor up there and you're eighteen or nineteen years old, you're going to want to have want to be with if you've been with women before. You want to sure, so of I don't so I don't remember exactly how we adjusted for that. Yeah. In those days, drinking age up there was like eighteen. No, there was no. Maybe. I mean, there was no. If there wasn't changed. even the slightest. I mean, I. I guess I had. I might have been, because I was in college already. So I, I was in a fraternity. So I probably had started to drink. Yeah. But it wasn't that big a deal. For, I mean, I didn't really care that much about it. Yeah. Um, you mentioned Zimpleman's. Once you were a counselor, were there other places like in town you'd go out to? Were there no. cars or anything like that? No. Or was it just? Not really. I don't. I don't. I don't remember any. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I stayed most of the time at the camp. I think we used to go. I remember going into the dad's lodge mm. on occasion and watching television. Mm. 
because there was no television. I said that must have been the only TV at camp. That was right? the only TV in the camp, yeah. So, like, if there was a baseball game or world, I don't know, I don't know about the World Series, but there was something. You would go into the, the, dad's, the dad's lodge, but, of course, that, being in the 60s, there wasn't that much television. Right. 50s, anyhow. Um, and then I, I told you this story, which was kind of interesting. You know, now I'm a, I became a judge, and I'm, now I'm a private judge, and I do mediations and arbitrations. So there was this fella, I think I told you on the phone, um, who was, um, I have a case, and he had come out to San Diego to run in what was called the Rock and Roll Marathon. First run, and, and it was a, it's now 20 years old. It's one of the premier marathons mm. in the country. Nice. And um, so he, um, he ran in the marathon, and he um, stayed at the Hyatt uh, in La Jolla, changed, and he, and he went back to Highland Park. He was from Highland Park, Illinois, and he was a, and he was a doctor. And, and he, but he was a runner, so he ran and he came out by himself. And he gets on a plane to fly back to O'Hare, and he has a grand mal seizure on the airplane. Mm. Okay? And, he all, and they divert to Denver, and he almost dies. He's in the hospital. His family comes out, and wow. they save him, but he's no longer able to practice medicine because of the, the, his, the seizures. Mm. And so he has to retire and moved to Arizona and he was reviewing files. So he had this big lawsuit because there was, the suspicion was they didn't have enough water or electrolytes. Mm-hmm. And, the race uh, didn't. So the like, race didn't. So he gotcha. was going to sue the sue the promoters of the race. And they had tons of insurance. And it was a little bit of a dangerous case because he was a doctor making a half a million dollars a year. So um, so the case originally was thrown out by a judge and then was reversed on appeal. And then they, I get it for a mediation, try to settle it. So the lawyer that he had was a guy out here named Vincent Bartolotta. And, and what he does in a lot of his cases, he has mediation briefs or statements, and he sp- puts in there at almost every place some sort of a picture of his client in the hospital or something like that. And it's, so he makes it like a little bit of a storybook. Sure. And, and they're done professionally and they're tried, you know, try to build up the case for settlement purposes. Yeah. So I'm home getting ready for this mediation the next day. I'm lying in bed with my former wife who passed away. And I'm going through the brief and I turn the page. And there I see this guy, the plaintiff's lawyer, I mean, the, the plaintiff, the doctor. And he's in a, standing in a clinic with an Ojibwa T-shirt on. <laughs> and I hand my hand it. I and my wife knew my whole Ojibwa sure. story in life, you know. And I hand the brief to her and I said, "Is that guy wearing an Ojibwa T-shirt?" And she says, "Yeah." I said, "I can't believe it." And so apparently he was the doctor for the summer, hmm. and had been for some time yeah. at the camp. And so the next morning, we have the case, and I go to my office, and he and 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 he's sitting there on a couch, and I sit down next to him, and I pick out this brief, and I thumb the pages, and I said, I said, are you at Camp Ojibwa? 
And, and he says, oh, yeah. And I said, so I tell him I was a camper and a counselor and all that. So we got along famously after that. But, <laughs> but, um, but that, I mean, that was, I mean, that always, you know, out here in California, you know, Chris, there's not, you don't run into people that went to Camp Ochoa every sure, day. It isn't like Chicago, you know. And, and I don't know exactly, I mean, because, you know, when I was there, it was, it seemed like it was like 90% Chicago kids, mm-hmm. Chicago area kids. There was, there was a sprinkling of some kids I remember from Kentucky, mm-hmm. um, Louisville or somewhere like that, and, and maybe a few others, but primarily it was all Chicago. Yeah. It's pretty similar. I mean, we do have a good a good uh, chunk of California now because yeah. the Denny's son's kids, mm-hmm. four boys, yeah. which is the Ojibwe way, apparently. Right, right, right. right. <laughs> yeah, uh, they, they all live in L.A. Right. So they've brought some friends of theirs and kind of gotten a little yeah. bit of a group there. But it's still, yeah, mostly Chicago kids. Yeah, because, in, you, know, you know, if you tell... If, I, if I, I have cases with people from Chicago all the time and... They'll, they'll, some of them will know about Camp Ojibwe, mm-hmm. and then, and then today I'll just say Google it, you know, right. and you'll, you know, you can, and I, like I said, I think I've told you my grandson who was seven, I would like to send him to Ojibwe, because he, I think he has the makings of a great athlete, and I think that would be a great place for him to go. That's and, perfect. Um, so we're trying to figure out a way how I can, I can do that, and I, I'd like to. I don't know. I mean, I, I guess we could take him there just to see see it, I guess. Yeah, how, are, how are kids getting there these days? Uh, if you're a camper, you're coming up on a bus. From Chicago? Yeah. yeah I remember, I, and I was reading in The Warrior, um, I remember it was one of the two years, I think it was the last, where Al Schwartz um, either purchased or set up the softball field. Mm. And the softball field was all the way, you know, it was on, on the other side of all the other fields. Mm. In, in on one on one side one side of the camp. Because there was there was the side of the camp behind the rec room. Right. Then it was the field and then there were the basketball and tennis courts. And then beyond those was the soft was the baseball field. Gotcha. And on the other side where the mess hall was, there were tennis courts and a basketball court um, on that side. Yeah. And that's where the campfires were and the, uh, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Got, all, I got it right? It's almost all the same. Except now the baseball field, uh, a couple years ago we went and made it a real baseball field, put in real stone dugouts, lights. Oh my it's a God. real baseball field. No, now. Oh, my grandson would love it. Oh, yeah, it's awesome. Um, so we'll do, like, if there's a big championship softball game, yeah. we'll play it out there. Um when the, the, the older guys come up, there's a men's league that comes up and does a weekend before camp yeah, starts. Yeah. They use it all to, all the time, and it's very cool. Well, they used to have the House of David used to come and play there. I don't know if you know. There were these older guys with beards. Hmm. They, they would play softball. And their name, and then Ojibwa, the Ojibwa All-Stars of counselors would play the House of David. Nice. Which was, was a big deal. They used, to play, they used to play other camps all the time. Yeah. I'd and they that. generally would come to Ojibwa for the most part. Because Ojibwa was really the, um, it was the premier camp. Yeah. And they liked, and they liked, they liked to come there. I mean, and I remember, I mean, when I went to Ojibwa, I think it cost $500 for the summer. Hmm. 
and I I don't know how my parents that was a lot of money yeah for things. sure and I don't know how I don't know how my parents afforded that hmm. but you know it was just um, great experience you know and I um, I and Denny was out here um, I think about ten years ago I don't know how he I, I don't know how he found how you found me or how he found me um, but when Denny came up here. You know, he brought me some stuff from Ojibwa, brochures and stuff like oh, that. Oh, nice. And I've, um, oh, so yeah. he brought me this. <laughs> That's fantastic. And I thought that was, I mean, they changed the shirts a little bit. And the yes. shirts used to just have a circle, you know, and, and then I've been showing this to my grandson all the time. Because I think he's got real possibilities as, as an athlete. And there were some really good athletes there. I was going to ask, were you there when uh, Hershey, was Hershey Carl there? I had to be because I knew who he was, and I, we played. We played. I mean, he 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 was Ronnie Rubenstein's the the counterpart mm. to at Sen. He was at Von Steuben. Oh, I see. And 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 we were at Sen. But what I did after when I went when I left there in '53, the next two summers I played baseball at Thillens. At, in the, and Dylan's Boys Major League on Devon Kitsy. Okay. And that was a big deal. And, and that was my, so that was my, that's all, you know, that's all he wanted to do was play baseball. And I sure. played baseball there. And, you know, they were on TV in Chicago. And oh, wow. It was a big, it was a, you know, it was a big deal. Yeah. Um, until I started high school. And then I went, uh, the first year of high school, my parents took me to, to Tucson where my grandparents were. And so I spent the summer there, and then the rest of the time I just played. Ba- All I would do is play basketball and tennis. Nice. And then I played. I got a scholarship for tennis at Iowa. And then, um, and then somehow I got. I you know I went back to the camp as a counselor, hmm. and uh, for the first. Um, and then we did the usual things we did, but I played a lot of basketball and a lot of, and a lot of tennis when yeah. I was there. Now we touched on it a little bit. What about the uh, the Ojibwa stage? Were you a presence on the Ojibwa stage other than a minstrel other than, show? Other than, other, than um, other than song night and um, collegiate week, probably not. Um, but I remember they had. I mean, they had they had your lights and they had they had stage manager. They had um, guys that did. What you do, I guess. Yeah. You know, um, I don't think you know. I, I don't know. There was that. I don't know if it's bigger now than it was. Before. That was. It wasn't the, the. The rec hall was a place where I know they had, ping pong, tables set yeah. up, and you could go in there when it rained. A lot of people spent a lot of time in there when it was raining, mm-hmm. and then they had a stage, you know, for the songs and stuff like that. Yeah. And then you'd go there and practice for the. When you sing your song and you know and, and the like, week. Yeah. week. So that's sort of my story. All right. Well, the last uh, thing I always ask yeah. everyone is just simply, uh, you've led a long life now. Uh, things have gone pretty well. How would you say your time at Camp Ojibwa affected that? I, I credit a lot of it to it. I mean, I really, I you know, there's a couple of things in my life that I think really had an effect on them. Okay. One is the years at Camp Ojibwa because it taught me um, how to get along with other kids and um, 
you know, there weren't there really there weren't very there weren't a lot of fights there. I don't remember because they had the counselors that always tried sure. to take care of things, but the learning how to lose, you know, as well as to win, um, and being competitive, wanting to win, um, and so I, you know, three years there was was being nine, ten, and eleven. That made a big impression, I think, on the rest of my life. You know, I, at least as to sports and competition. And, you know, and, and if you become a judge or a lawyer, I mean, you're still in competition, sure. really. So, I mean, it's really, um, so I really credit a lot. And plus, um, I mean, it was just wonderful experiences. You, you just never, I mean, I don't remember all the details, but I will tell you that I will never forget the, the years in the sense that they were full of joy and happiness and wanted to go back couldn't wait to go back, you know, for another summer. Absolutely. And I think just about everybody there felt the same way, I'm pretty sure. And Al Schwartz was a wonderful guy, and, and Mickey and and Sid Novak, and they were, I mean, they, they were all, you know, they were they, they all they took care of their kids. The one thing about that camp is they really took, so I, I remember that fondly. Um, I think the other thing that in my life, at least when I, when I graduated from high school, okay, and I made the choice to go to the University of Iowa in Iowa City, uh, where all of a sudden I'm from Sen High School with 98% Jewish kids and Jewish this and Jewish that and you know, and everybody you know, kind of the same language, same put downs and the same <laughs> like, and I, now I go to this college where. There's no, there's not hardly any Jewish people there. There's, and I, I learned, you know, that you know, and I start going out with non-Jewish girls, and I ended up marrying a non-Jewish girl, and, I, you know, and and um, yeah, and and you're and you're not, and you know, you now you know there's other people and other views yeah. of life, and so I think those two, the Ojibwe experience and going to Iowa for four years, really really helped me a lot in molding my personality and stuff like that, because I got I got away from. You know, the Chicago routine can get a little, you know, um, same thing over and over again. Sure. I mean, like going out to Uno's for pizza and all the you know, same <laughs> same old stuff every night. And, um, you know, but, but I'll tell you this, though, I would never, um, even though I love it here in California and San Diego and I live in Del Mar, I would never trade the time growing up in Chicago for anything. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, because... You know, the cold, the cold didn't bother you when you're 9 or 10 years old. Sure. <laughs> you don't have to drive, and you don't have to scrape the ice off the car and stuff like that. So your parents did that. So I was a great place to grow up, and, and Ojibwe was just, um, it was just a premier camp. I mean, I knew, my, my friends went to other, Maccabee, Maccabee was one, mm-hmm. um, and they went to some other ones. But I don't think they compared. I mean, everybody really... Believe Ojibwe was the, the premier camp, at least for, you know, in the Midwest. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that says it all. Thank yeah. you so much. Okay, I really appreciate you taking the time. By, you know, and, um, okay, that is it. Another one in the books. Herb Hoffman, Judge Hoffman, San Diego, California. You know what you missed? Herb did not tell maybe his one of his best stories. 
and it's a true Camp Ojibwa legend about the time in 1960 when we were playing another camp, some guys from town. I hear it a couple different ways, but the details change a little bit, but the moral of the story is always the same. It's the bottom of the seventh, and Camp Ojibwa is down. Either one run or seven runs, depending on who tells the story. And uh, old Al Schwartz, using his wits, calls for a brand new ball because it was rainy and it had been rainy and mucky and the ball was a little wet and soggy. And the guy who brought in that ball and pitched it, Herb Hoffman. The guy who handed the ball to Herb Hoffman right out of the athletic shed, Dennis Rosen. All right, guys, I'm out of here for this week. If you want to get in touch with me, as always, you know how. Christopher at I'm on my way to have a cigar. <laughs>